We uh, we're so privileged to uh, be a part of a church where we can come together and where we can uh, be involved with other ministries. And so we thank you for the care clinic and all of the work that you do. And uh, we rejoice in that. Uh, what a blessing that we have people who care about the beautiful unborn children uh, that are out there. So thank you for your ministry. Uh, most of you know that uh, I read through the Bible uh, each year and um, and every time I do, one of the things that kind of jumps out at me over and over again is that who would ever write a book? First of all, you couldn't write a book over thousands of years, which is what it has taken. In fact, it is still a book that is, in, uh, that is uh, continuing to be written in the lives of us. But uh, who would write a story or, or a series of stories without creating a character who would be the center of a focus, who would be the hero who would come along. And everybody's been waiting for this hero uh, to step forward and to be the one who is going to come in and conquer and do wonderful and great things. Uh, in, in fact, we still, in some ways, uh, wish that there would be that one, right, as we read through the Bible, like, where, where is that one who is going to come? And we can look at him, we can see him uh, someplace, and yet we know that um, instead, the Bible is full of odd, flawed people who God uses and puts in positions of ministry and does things that God wants done that you would think that some you know, big conquering hero would be the one who would come and do that. Instead, God uses these flawed people. And I don't know about you, but when I read, I'm often very grateful when I read about somebody who messes up, but God still uses them because I do that all the time, right? I mean, as I look out there, you know, it, it, let me just, I always like to say this, you know, just in case, like if there's anybody out there who's perfect, unflawed, you know, never sins, never, you know, thinks anything, come on up here and take my place, would you? Because I shouldn't be here if you're here, okay? It, it, you know, but God, in his amazing grace, uses those kind of people. Today, I'd like to to go through uh, some of those quickly, and, and because of time, I can't uh, cover all of them, but uh, I would love to uh, just share uh, with you some of those kind of people and uh, just see if we can uh, maybe get a little bit of a uh, view of that. So I'm going to begin in Genesis, and in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth, and he created all things. And after he had created the heaven and the earth and he had created the animals and, and all of the other things, he, he made man. And he created Adam out of dust and then he took Eve from his side and uh, gave him a wife. And the two of them, and, and here's the part that, that I think is so beautiful. The two of them would walk with God in the garden and have a conversation with him. Can you imagine if you were having a face-to-face -face personal conversation with God? Wouldn't that be awesome? 
I mean, wouldn't that be an amazing thing? And, and they were, were having these conversations, and they're walking along, and you think, okay, these are the people who are, you know, we're going to keep reading this book, and they're going to be the perfect ones. They're going to be the ones that are, are without sin, without flaw, without any, any uh, problems. And then along comes the conversation that Eve, Adam's wife, has with the serpent. And we all know that the serpent is Satan. And Satan has come there, and uh, Satan is going to tempt Eve. And uh, so he comes along, and he, and he starts to have a conversation with her. And one of the things that's uh, amazing is how uh, Satan will distort or twist or change the word of God to make his point. And we see that in Genesis chapter 3. And he, the serpent, said to the woman, Did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, that's not what God had said, was it? God had said you may eat of every tree except one. But you see how Satan twisted that? Satan twisted that to any tree. You're not allowed to eat any of the trees in the garden. Right? Isn't that what he's saying here? And the woman said to the certain, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it or you shall die. God did not say to her that you shall not touch it. She is twisting God's word because she has been listening to Satan who is twisting God's word. And we still face that today on a regular basis where God has told us in his word how we should live and yet Satan is in our brains and in our souls and he's twisting us and he's, and he's making us do things that we ought not to do. So obviously, Adam and Eve, neither of them are going to be the hero of our book, right? Because they're both flawed. They both messed up. They both ended up sinning because Eve took that fruit and she ate of it and she gave some to Adam and he took it and he ate. They both knew that that was what God had told them not to do and they chose to do it. Well then, you know, the next one um, that we see, and let me catch up on that, um, the next ones we see is their sons, right? Adam and Eve had two sons. Well, they had multiple other children, but they had two sons. And the sons would bring their offerings, and uh, Cain did not like the way that God reacted to his offering compared to how he, offer, uh, he reacted to uh, his brothers, right? And so uh, here, here's another example. So you would think, okay, they were, they were around when God was still uh, present and he was interacting, and yet uh, Cain chooses to be upset and angry about the reaction. What's interesting about that is that God comes to Cain and speaks to him personally. Now, I don't know about any of you, but I have never had God like face-to-face -face having a conversation with me. There's been times when I have uh, had some things happen that I know it was God speaking to me through the Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit speaking to me, making some things clear. So when I say that, please understand, I'm talking about God, the Father, coming to Cain. And he says to him, if you do well, will you not be accepted? In other words, it's, 
more your spirit and your attitude about this offering than it is about what you're bringing. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And so, they're having this amazing conversation. God, right there with Cain, is having a conversation with him, and he's telling him, look, what you're thinking about is evil, and the evil is at the door, crouching, waiting to have you and take control of you. And what does Cain do? Cain turns away from God, he goes out, and he takes his brother into the field, and he kills him. Why? Because he was not listening to God. So I guess Cain is not going to be our hero of this story, is he? Cain is a failure. Cain had issues like the rest of us do. And he chose to listen to the one, Satan, who was crouching at his door, waiting to take control and to lead him down the path of sin that would cause death and destruction. Well, because of time, I'm going to skip over, and I'm not going to be able to cover every one of the people in the Bible, but let me go to Moses. Now, Moses, um, he, was a, he was born during a time when babies of the, Egypt, or of the Israelite women were being killed. And so his mother, not wanting her son to be killed, she, she puts him in a position, and I'm not going to go into all the details, but she puts him in this little pond, and, and, and the daughter of the Egyptian leader is there, Pharaoh, Pharaoh's daughter, and, and she's there, and she sees, and oh, hey, bring me that, that basket, and oh, it's a baby, and oh, I'll take that baby and I'll raise it. And, and Moses was raised by Pharaoh's daughter, and, and, and raised, obviously, in a, in a household that, that probably was very wealthy and, and well-to-do, and, and he is uh, raised there, and he grows up, and one day he goes out into the field, and, and he sees one of the Egyptians who was there harming an Israelite. And he goes over to that one, and he kills him. And the next day, He's back out there again, and this time one of the people says, oh, are you going to kill us like you did him? And Moses realizes, oh, I'm in real trouble. I'm getting out of here. So, is Moses flawed? <laughs> Obviously, he is. He disappears for 40 years, and, he, and he's gone off. And God, this is one of the amazing things if you think about God. God hasn't forgotten him. God has a mission for him. That's why he allowed him to stay alive, right? God, God has something in mind that he wants him to do. So God goes and he brings Moses out of where he had been and he takes him back to the Israelites. But before he does that, he goes in and he's talking to him. And again, can you imagine this? So God is having a personal conversation with Moses. And he says, Moses, this is a paraphrase, I have a mission for you. I got a job I want you to do. I'm going to send you, and I'm going to have you lead my people out of Egypt. Right? And Moses, you would think, would say, oh, wow, God is calling me to this. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to go and do this. God wants me to do this job. Right? What does Moses say? Oh, my Lord, 
I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. What is he saying? I don't really want to do this, God. I don't feel qualified to do that. You're asking me to, to step in and do something that's way over my head and my ability. Right? Isn't that what he's saying? But, but who's calling him? Who's leading him? God. So really, what is he doing? He's doubting God. Right? He's saying, God, you are not capable of using me in the way that you're asking me to step out there and trust you. None of us have ever done that, have we? Right? You know, we, why would we ever doubt and not step forward? So God was, was angry with him, and he tells him, okay, I'm going to still use you, but I'll let your brother come along, and I'm going to let him uh, help with the speaking and all of those kind of steps. And so, so now Moses goes through, and he does all of the, you know, you've probably all heard of the miracles that he did, and, you know, how he had done all of these things to, to show uh, Pharaoh that God was leading them out, and finally uh, the firstborn of all of the Egyptians is killed, and, and they, send him, they send them away. And Moses is leading the troops, right? He's leading the pack, and he's heading them out, and they're, they're heading over to the promised land. And while he's leading them, there's, a, there's sins that happen, and that's not his fault. There's some things that took place. But then one day, they're in the desert, they're thirsty. And he gets ticked off at the people, and he takes his staff, and he pounds a rock, and out comes water. But he did it, what? Out of anger. He didn't trust God. He didn't ask God to bring forth water. Instead, he took it upon himself. He took a step that was beyond, and God said, uh, you're not going to be my hero, Moses. I'm going to take you to the top of a mountain. You're going to look at the promised land, but you're not going in. So Moses is not our hero that we've been waiting for either, is he? He's one that is weak, like you and I. Last week, Pastor Brian uh, spoke about Job. I love the book of Job. I'm always confused by the first little part of it, where Satan comes in and, 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 and challenges God to let me go and, and do something with Job, and, and God lets him, and, and, and Job really does a pretty good job throughout most of it. But at one point, Job starts to question, and God has to step forward, and he tells Job that he has sinned by what he's doing, by not trusting and believing him. Job failed also. But you know what? It's because they're people. It's because they're people. And they fail, and we do as well. I could as you know, uh, spend the rest of the morning talking about many of the others in the Old Testament. There are some who, who we don't see any sin or failure in, but uh, most of the people are like you and like me. They have stepped out and they have failed in some form or another. I don't know about you, but that gives me encouragement. I'm going to skip to the New Testament, though. Let's look at Peter. Now, you probably all knew that's who I was going to go to, right? Because Peter's a perfect example. So here's Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. And Peter is walking with Jesus. He's part of the inside circle of, of people, the few uh, who are with Jesus on a regular basis. And Jesus reveals all kinds of amazing and wonderful things to him. And yet, 
there comes the day when they took Jesus. They were getting ready to take him, to crucify him. And here's Peter who denies, not in front of authorities, but in front of slaves and regular people, he denies even knowing Jesus Christ. It's one of those sections of Scripture when you read it and it's like, you know, if he was under, under some authority who was going to, you know, if you say you're part of, you're with him, I'm going to kill you too, I'm going to crucify you. But he's just talking to some regular folks around the campfire. And he denies them. Oh, I'm sorry, I fell behind, didn't I? Thank you, you caught me up. <laughs> Dan, stay on top of it, Dan, because I lose track. But here's what happens after Jesus, and I'm going to come back to Jesus, by the way, you can probably figure that one out. But after he denied him three times. But then when Jesus had been crucified and resurrected, Jesus is sitting with Peter and has this conversation with him. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said, he, Jesus, said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. And you can kind of imagine, right, how that would feel. You've been asked two times already. Now you're asked a third time. It's like, do you not believe me, Jesus? Do you know something I don't? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. What is Jesus doing here? I believe that Jesus is restoring the relationship with Peter. Jesus is saying, look, I understand. You're human. You messed up. You're forgiven. Just go and do what I have called you to do. And he, and he assigns him a mission. That mission is to feed the sheep. Does he mean literally feed sheep? No, he means feed us. He means feed my people from my word. Give them my word. Help them to grow and, to, and, and to, to be nurtured with my word. To take my word in more and more and more. We're blessed to have God's word. Now, for sure, Peter at this point, we're, we're kind of thinking when we're at this point in the Bible, okay, we're, now we have our hero we've been waiting for, right? Peter's going to stand up. He's going he's to go out and proclaim the gospel. He's going to be this leader who's going to change the whole world. Uh, except in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11, and 13, 11 through 13, we read this. When Peter came to Antioch, I this is uh, Paul writing, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came to, from James... He was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. What is this saying about Peter? Peter had fallen into the trap of doubting, questioning, wondering, Am I doing the right thing by being with Gentiles? Anybody in here a Gentile? Right? <laughs> Aren't we all? 
Unless you're 100% Jew, you're Gentile. <laughs> Aren't you glad that the word of God has been brought to the Gentiles? I am. So grateful. But Peter, because he, he was part of a group and that group was saying, Peter, eh, you know, you shouldn't be hanging around with those Gentiles. And Peter's like, eh, you know, maybe you're right. And he kind of pulls back. But praise the Lord, I will say this for Peter. He did write two of the books of the New Testament that are very encouraging and, and wonderful words for us to read. And we know that God had connected with his heart after this and that Peter did some wonderful things for the Lord because he was listening to the Holy Spirit. And Paul himself said that he was imperfect and we know that Paul was uh, out there uh, killing Christians first, right? Having them arrested and killed. But then after he became a Christian, he even said about himself that he's flawed, that he makes errors. He's, he's not perfect. So he wasn't that perfect one either. So if I were to end right now and go and sit down, you'd be saying, why in the world do we read this book called the Bible? It's full of flawed people. Is there anybody that is worthy of us reading about? Well, number one, there's God the Father, who consistently throughout this whole time used people who were willing to listen, to obey, and to step forward. Flawed, imperfect, regular people that God used for his glory. And then when you think about all of these flaws, especially in the Old Testament, you think about us. Where would we be if it wasn't for what we celebrated last week? Last week was Easter, and on Easter we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 8, let me just read this for you because it's a better summary than I can give. Written by Paul to the Corinthian church. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. And I'm going to the, he's going to share what the gospel is here in a moment. And by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you of first importance. What does that mean? Paul has written all kinds of stuff, but what I'm writing to you is the most important thing, right? What I'm about to write to you is first most important thing that I can and will ever write. So pay attention to what it says. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one ultimate, uh, untimely born, he appeared also to me. 
And then he goes on and describes how he is unworthy to be called an apostle. But he has laid out for us there the gospel message, the most important message we will ever hear. And we must make a decision what to do with that gospel message. What is this, what is this gospel message? Well, first of all, God recognized how flawed and imperfect people are. God recognized that we could never live up to perfection to achieve, to achieve being in heaven with him on our own ability. And because of that, because we are all sinners, and if we're sinners, we're enemies of God, and because we're enemies of God, he could have just chosen to destroy us, but instead... He sends his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who came into this world. Now, Jesus Christ was not flawed. Jesus Christ is God in human form. 100% God, 100% man. But he was sinless. He was perfect. And yet, as he went around, he was sharing uh, the good news about God. And, and as he was going, he was healing people. He was... He was touching people's lives. He was changing people. But what happened? Because of the sinfulness of people, what did they do? They hated him. They hated the one that God had sent, the one who was perfect. We're all looking for that perfect one, right? We're looking for that one who is going to be different than all of the rest. But when God sent that one, they rejected him. They hated him. And they took Jesus, and they took him into court, where they brought testimony against him, which was proven to be a lie. But over and over and over again, they tested him, they checked on him, they tried to, they tried to get him to stumble and fall and mess up, but he didn't. So then they chose, okay, we're going to kill him. We're just going to get rid of him. We're going to get rid of him all together. So they took him and they put a crown of thorns on his head and they took staffs and they were beating him with them and they hit him over the head. They, they, they tore his flesh as they scourged him. And then they took him out to that garden and they hung him on that tree. And we call it the cross. But God raised Jesus back to life again. And that's what we celebrated last week. That's what we, we worship and celebrate. The fact that God loved us enough that he raised Jesus Christ back to life again. And if you notice what I read here, after he was raised back to life again, what did he do? He was around for 40 days, interacting with people. It talks here about hundreds of people who saw him, who interacted with him, who heard from him. And God used this as an opportunity to tell you and me that the one that the people had crucified and the one that people crucified him, that's you and me as well. Because we're no different than those people were. And here's the greatest part. So this hero 
who was crucified, he died on that cross. And we'd say, and I'm sure those, uh, the, the Israelites and, and the people of that community were probably like, wow, great, now he's gone. We don't have to worry about him anymore. We can move on. But God raised him back to life again. And he never died again, but rather he ascended into heaven. Being watched by many people, ascended into heaven, and he is still alive. He is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. He is interceding for you and for me. And I was once a part of a Bible study, and as a former police officer, one of the things that I, I remembered one of those people saying there, it's like being in court. And I won't pick on you, Andy, but a prosecutor was standing up and he was pointing a finger and saying, Hank Steed did these horrible things, judge. You need to, you need to find him guilty and, 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 and in the courtroom of heaven. This was the vision that I was, or the, the story that I was given or the, the picture that I was given, I guess better way of saying it. Jesus steps forward and he says, hold it. I died for him. He's not guilty. Wow. And he's still doing that for you and for me when we mess up. Because we're flawed people. Nobody came forward when I invited you earlier. We're all flawed people. We all recognize that we fall short of being perfect people. And because of that, we have that hope and a promise that Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God the Father. And when we mess up in our flawed lack of ability, Satan is accusing, Satan is trying to confuse us, Satan is trying to lead us astray, but Jesus has made a way for us to spend eternity with God in heaven. Now some of you who are mature Christians are saying, but Pastor Hank, we've heard all of this before. But some of you may have never heard that Jesus Christ died for you personally. He didn't just die for people who work in the care clinic, for pastors, for elders, for people who are, are out there uh, sharing the gospel. He died. He was raised back to life again. He ascended into heaven for each and every one. All of us flawed, imperfect sinners who fall short of the glory of God. And he has asked us to believe in his finished work, to trust him with our lives for eternity. Have you done that? Have you ever trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Do you know that if your life came to an end today, that you would spend eternity with God in heaven? I hope you have. And if you haven't, please feel free to contact and talk to one of us. We'd be more than happy to have a conversation with you about that. We worship and celebrate a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Yea, God is right. Would you join me in prayer? My Lord God, I thank you so much for this hope and promise that we have. Not because of anything I can do, Lord, because I know and you know for sure that I'm flawed, that I fall short. But you have provided for me a way Jesus, you said of yourself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
that through you is faith and belief in you and the finished work upon that cross where you bore our sins. Lord God, I can't imagine you sending your son. And, and Jesus, I can't, I can't believe uh, except by faith that you left heaven to come for me, the worst of sinners. But I believe you did. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you come and, and you lead us and you guide us. And while we're not like Adam and Eve where we have that personal conversation with you, God, will you have given us Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, who speaks into our hearts and lives on a regular basis. Please, Lord, continue to lead and guide. Help us to stay faithful in this world that is so lost and hurting and falling away from you and, and, and wandering further and further into the darkness. Help us to hold on to that light, that hope, and that promise that only comes from your finished work upon that cross, Jesus. We love you. We thank you. In your powerful and holy name we pray. Amen.